Back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Oh, it's an early morning here in Riyadh, and I hate I hate these super early starts. But uh, you got to do what you got to do for time zone alignment and meeting up with the boys. How are you doing this morning, Mike? Uh, it's evening here, and it's pretty good. I just got back from the plains of Kansas. Quite windy, very cold. It was not really a vacation for the weather, but. Uh, I was visiting with our special guest that we have on today, who we'll introduce in a minute. But first day back, getting back in the groove of things and uh, doing pretty well, Melon. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, how about you, Tia? How you doing, man? Oh, uh, man, I'm good. But uh, I was going to tell you guys I was going to share a story where I completely fucked it away. <laughs> so everybody knows that my profession involves just traveling, right? Like, that's what I do for a living. I travel. And uh, so... I, I headed down to, to California. Don't, don't hold it against me, but I'm down in California visiting my folks with little man, you know, my son Soren and uh, man, I, everything's pre-packed. Everything's good to go. I got TSA pre-check. Uh, I can get us through, you know, security and like, I mean, I'm down to the wire. I knew exactly how long it was going to take from flash to bang. I get through all that nonsense. I get to the other side. I'm in Los Angeles. I got my rental car. I even drug my car seat all the way over. So I've got like a full suitcase. I got the, the child seat. I got my backpack. I mean, I'm full loaded to the gills, but I still have a free hand so I can, you know, hold his hand while we're kind of doing the leapfrogger to get to the uh, shuttle shuttle buses. I get all the way to the goddamn rental place. I lost my driver's license. <laughs> uh, I went, I went all the way down to Los Angeles and somewhere along the trip. And I think I know where it happened. I think it happened at security. I ended up, I think I left my, either it fell out of my pocket or it, uh, I left it on the bin in security. So uh, anyways, here's my partner in crime. But yeah, man, it was just just an absolute mess, man. And I was I, I'll admit I was frustrated, but I, I was taught a good lesson. So the whole time that you know, obviously I'm in crisis mode and trying to like remain cool. Soren has no clue in the world, right? He's jumping from tile to tile on the ground. He's like he's playing a game and he wants me to play with him. And then it dawned on me. Who gives a shit? It's a driver's license. I'll get another one. And uh, we'll sort it out. So I ended up just getting an Uber, which wasn't that bad to get to my parents' house. And uh, anyways, it was crisis was averted, but it was just like, yeah, I know why I'm freaking out about this. So we just started playing in the uh, waiting room. And then we got yelled at for not wearing masks. What so happened? Why didn't you just flash the the magical pilot badge that gets you, you know, VIP access everywhere? Mike, don't think I didn't try all. I literally put my work badge on there. I put, you know, I made plane sounds. I, I said pilot words like flight deck and the guy was like, no, and, well, I'm not going to go there because it's going to sound, it's going to make me sound racist. But this dude was like, not impressed. And he was like, no driver's license. And I was like, I don't have a driver's license. I have a picture of a driver's license. And he's like, no suit for you. And he like, just told me to go away. And I was like, this son of a bitch. <laughs> Anyways, that's how my day started. So I'm looking forward to tonight. This is, uh, I'm looking forward to this. I need some, some pick me up. So for the listeners, we've got Tio is in pretty much an SOP Tio outfit. He's not quite got the full flannel, but he's got the hat. And Mike is wearing, well, it's a jersey that he likes, but I haven't seen him wearing it on the episode before. He's wearing some black and yellow, and I think that's in honor of our special guest. So why don't you tell us about what you're wearing and who we got on here, Mike? Yeah, thanks, Melon. So the special guest for this week is my very good friend uh, who I just visited out in Kansas. Uh, he's number 67 currently with the Pittsburgh Steelers. BJ Finney. How's it going, BJ? Welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Going pretty well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So figuring last couple of days, been hanging out with BJ, some really awkward situations, some really funny ones. And, uh, <laughs> You know, just some random stuff, but also some really good conversation and also knowing his story. We've been friends for a couple of years now. What was it like 2016, 2017 we met? Yeah, that sounds about right. 2016, 2017. Yeah. So we, uh, oh, there's a, uh, there's little man. But, uh, yeah. So kind of going into how we met real quick, just a little background is, uh, you know, from, from my job, we were kind of invited up to the Steelers facility 
got to come in and do some professional development, hang around training camp, go to some meetings, uh, you know, be part of the cool guy club for a little bit and act like, you know, like we were part of something neat <laughs> and uh, just got to meet BJ. I think we walked in and I think we were talking about hunting and guns, which I think most of the, most of the guys got that attention, you know, when we start talking about hunting and guns and BJ start, Hey man, what kind of guns you got? You know, what do you like to do? What do you hunt? Where are you from? And that kind of, you, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to pick up if the guy's for real or not. So you when everybody starts talking about hunting and guns. You're like, all right, obviously you've got, you know, somebody in the Navy here in the military talking about guns. Does he really know about guns or is he just one of those guys that pretends to know about guns and, you know, isn't that big of a hunter. So I had to, I had to see if he was for real or not. Yeah. Just, was he for real? Just, was he legit? Yeah. No, not, not even close. He's, he <laughs> yeah, that's what right I thought. Now, but it, it's, it's embarrassing when you go to the range with him. It's just embarrassing. <laughs> All right. Secrets that mock. Well, I expected a semi-professional introduction and, you know, whatever it could be, but I guess we're going right to it. So, <laughs> that, that's fine. Uh, can I just can I apologize to our audience for a second? Um, literally, Melon and I had no intention to in, to introduce BJ like we're introducing a stripper. I don't know why, but like <laughs> as soon as you start introducing BJ, I was like, "Is this a, what? What are we introducing right now? This is a I'm professional. Honored. I'm honored. Although, yeah, I'm not, not. I think I'd have to be paying you if it were yeah. to go the other way. <laughs> I, just, I just want everyone to to re-listen to Mike's introduction. It literally sounds like we're like we're introducing sexual chocolate. So anyways, I just, I want to apologize because, you know, we're not, we're BJ, a professional group. BJ is from Kansas. He is vanilla chocolate in every, every sense of the word. So he's very vanilla. He's big, but he's vanilla. So uh, yeah. And then BJ actually met Raph, you know, since Raph wants to talk some shit uh, about hunting. So uh, two years ago, we went on a pheasant hunt out in Kansas. Well, we did, a, we did a, a, a guy's trip of, uh, uh, we went fishing at Lake Texoma, and then we drove back to Kansas and did a pheasant hunt. And it was Raph's first time hunting. So prior to this, Raph was against guns and hunting. He was kind of a kind of a softy when it came to trigger pulling. Let's just call it what it is. And then he had his son, and then he's like, "Oh man, I actually want to do man things." And uh, reached out, and we're like, "Hey, dude, we're gonna go fishing and we're gonna go hunting. Do you want to go?" And he actually was like, "Yeah, I'm all for it. I want to learn." So we invited Raph. We put a little pheasant uh, feather in his hat where he walked around. So he was like clearly the new guy. And I think it took, what, 123 shotgun shells to hit your first clay? Something around there? It was about 178, but I'm just rounding up. And okay. Look, I'll attest. Mike's actually telling the truth. Because I, I remember having these conversations with you overseas. We talked about, like, dude, I, I would love to go hunting with you. And I was like, look, I'll be honest with you, man. I ate granola. I'm probably going to wear a tie-dye laying there with a ghillie suit, but underneath I'll have a tie-dyed shirt and I'm going to deliberately throw my shot off. And he, and he would just look at me and he couldn't tell if I was being serious or not, but I came around. Right. So that was our, that was our main interaction where me, Raph and BJ were all together, got out, went out on a great uh, fishing and hunting trip, had a blast. And uh, yeah, here we are. And I thought it'd be really cool to bring BJ on uh, as a friend uh, but also just uh, he's got an incredible story, which I know will relate to uh, Melon and I once you hear it. And uh, just talking about the main topic of never giving up and pushing through adversity um, and still going for your dreams, because BJ really defines that. And I, I love him for it. I respect him for it. Um, and just to be clear, I always appreciate and love him more as a man and just who he is than he is as a NFL player or football player or anything else. Um, so anyway, BJ, you just would like to cover real quick, man, a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you did uh, and, and what you do, really. All right. Well, um, as you guys know, BJ Finney um, from a small town outside of Wichita, Kansas called Clearwater. Um, it's about 2,500 people now, a uh, small farming community, um, or a commuter community where people drive into Wichita, uh, you know, quote unquote, air capital of the world. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I'm the youngest of four. I have three older sisters, um, you know, married two kids now, but, uh, I lost my dad right before I turned 13, um, went through a slew of family funerals in about three and a half years, uh, really up and through, uh, my junior year of high school, um, I was a walk-on at Kansas State. 
uh, for football and earned a scholarship there after one year, uh, made, um, in my second year there through my senior year, I had 52 consecutive starts. Uh, I never missed a game, never missed a start. And then I uh, was an undrafted free agent to, uh, the Steelers in 2015 and was able to stick there, um, up and through up until, uh, 2020 signed with Seattle and free agency. Um, things did not go well there. I got traded to Cincinnati the, uh, October of last year of 2020 and, uh, was released in March of 21 from Cincy and re-signed by Pittsburgh last year. So, uh, kind of did one great big victory lap. Well, just lap, not even victory lap, just one great big lap of the U S. Uh, so here we are. Uh, just real quick, what was your recap of Seattle and Washington right next to RAF and the lush trees and mountains? <laughs> uh, I can I can hear RAF uh, over there, so I won't I won't lump Spokane in with Seattle, but um, you know I'm sure it would have been a lot better had we not had COVID and then the wildfires and everything going on. It was so crazy out there, so uh, it didn't get a fair shake, but it, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Right on, dude. <clears throat> well. Uh, knowing BJ throughout the, you know, the last couple of years, um, our, our friendship has been bigger than football or anything else. And, uh, you know, we just, I flew out there what last Wednesday and, uh, he's like, Hey man, come on out. Let's, let's shoot some guns and get a little R and R and a little break. And, you know, now that the uh, football season's over and, uh, I kind of have a lull. So we went out and we're out in Kansas and just, uh, went out shooting for a couple of days uh, went back to his house. He's got a beautiful house, some land. And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about it. We were laughing, you know, it's just like, man, Mike, you, you got some really interesting friends and, you know, these NFL players, what do you do? You know, it's just like, you think that you go out and burn down BJ and I on Saturday, I believe we were setting mole traps in his yard. <laughs> because we're, we're driving around in the ATV and he's like, you see this, look at my yard and look at these holes. And he's like, I bought mole traps. Do you want to go put mole traps out? So we're out there digging holes on our hands and knees. And it was like 28 degrees out. And we're just sitting there just like, and he's just like, you know, it'd be funny if like people guess what we're doing right now, you know? But, uh, Hey, that's some of the yeah, best. I figured, time, right? I figured you could put mole killer behind, you know, your name since there's nothing there. You could just, you know, fill it in. Tools for the toolbox. That's what I call it, man. <laughs> you know. But uh, so, anyways, um, kind of get into the topic. You know, like with BJ's background, and like I said, it kind of relates to Melon and I because, as you heard, uh, 13 years old, BJ lost his dad. And uh, Mellon lost his dad at 11. I lost my dad uh, at 18. And it definitely has an effect on your life, your direction, uh, your sense of belonging. You know, we could really go down the list. But the awesome part about uh, these relationships is the three of us, Yeah, we didn't let it define us. And all three of us have pushed on and become successful in what we've driven ourselves to be. So for, for BJ, he made it to the NFL. Uh, I made it into the soft community. Mellon became a, a pilot, you know, and a, honestly a, a damn good one for, for what he does. So it's kind of looking into it and being like, you know, let's look at BJ's journey. He can kind of share some things that he went through and, and growing up, see what we can pull out for some positive uh, messages for our, our listeners, maybe that are going through a hard time or something similar. And uh, yeah, let's just have a good discussion kind of about that. So uh, BJ, I'll kick it off to you, man, wherever you kind of want to go and, um, you know, hop on with uh, maybe around when you were 13 and kind of the initial and uh, maybe what you thought about what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you never, you never forget that day. Uh, anybody that has gone through that, can always remember specific details about the day, you know, something drastic in their life changed. And, um, I actually fielded the phone call, um, from the school where my dad had a, his heart attack. Um, so lay the groundwork. I was in seventh grade. Um, the day is, you know, October 18th, 2004. And, um, I just get home from school. Like seriously, 
Um, I'm, I'm inside the house less than 15 minutes and I take the phone call and my dad was a, a paramedic for his day job and he was on the volunteer fire service uh, there in Clearwater. So we had the emergency phone where it was like three quick, uh, quick rings and then it would, you know, pause and then three quick rings again. Um, and the phone started ringing. So I, you know, picked it up just out of habit. And, um, you know, there was a gal on the other end of the phone and, and she said, Hey, is your mom home? And I said, no, she said, well, we're trying to get a hold of your mom because your dad fell. Um, and he needs to go to the hospital. So, um, you know, tell your mom to call. And I said, well, what's really wrong? Cause you know, no, my dad, he, he was 36 years old. Um, you know, it was six foot three, 200 and I think 80 pounds. I think it was on his uh, death certificate. And I mean, the guy was always working out. He was just rock solid. And, uh, I was like, yeah, my dad doesn't just fall like what's really going on. And she's, she just reiterated. She's like, no, he's, he slipped and fell and, you know, took a nasty spill. And so we're, we're just looking for your mom. Um, so there I am, you know, I'm, I'm waiting at the house to hear from mom or hear from anybody really. And, um, you know, people start, my sister gets home from volleyball practice um, we actually had a, a sergeant there uh, from the Clearwater PD come up and actually do a, a, you know, a death notification to my sister, who is a junior in high school. Um, and I hear her crying out on, out on the porch. So I open the door and there's, you know, six, seven, eight vehicles with our closest family and friends uh, and people that were close to my mom and dad outside. And they're just standing there somber looking and then I get told the news and um I mean it was like time stood still so um you know like I said uh the date was October 18th my birthday is October 26th um as eight days before my 13th birthday kind of a crucial point in a in a young man's life to you know be missing his father and um my dad and I were we were always doing stuff together it'd be football wrestling um, you know, hunting, fishing, like we, we were always doing something together. Um, and, um, anyway, I, I can recall specific details about just laying in bed that week, not sleeping, uh, watching the time go off the clock, but, um, you know, we start fast forwarding and, um, you know, there was just, there was, that started the time frame in a three and a half years of 13 deaths in the family. And when I say my family, I'm talking people, I'm not just talking blood relatives. I'm talking about, you know, your close family friends, you know, everybody in that, in that circle uh, that you have growing up. And uh, it just was like every, it was like clockwork every couple months, you know, somebody else was passing away and we had to go to another funeral. And uh, it was just a, like, it was a very, dark time in my life, uh, to experience that at such an early age. Um, you know, and you can go one or two ways as, you know, as somebody that's that young, you know, really anybody can go one of two ways. You know, you can, you can say, you know, this sucks and kind of wallow in it. Or in, in my case, I just, I chose to live as if my dad were still there. All right. What, what is, you know, what would dad want me to do? What would, what would be expected of me if dad were still here? Cause it doesn't change. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. And even, you know, going through that, that time span, um, you know, I got really acquainted with, with death and how to operate with it. Um, you know, and, and with, within those parameters, um, so B, BJ real quick, um, I have to mention, Mama Finney, right? Oh man! So shout out, shout out to Mama Finney. Mama, shout Finney. Out Mama Finn. So this part of the story, you know, is very is very tough. But um, as we can all relate, the power the power of our mothers in in our worst times, right? Um, yeah. Mama Finney is probably one of the the strongest uh, women I've ever met, and loving, passionate, passionate. The great word for it, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, she has a massive role in BJ's life and and uh, everything else. So, 
I would just like to acknowledge her uh, during this time as well in his life. And she is a huge, massive support uh, for BJ and all of his success throughout his life. So shout out to Mama Finney. But go ahead, BJ. Continue, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's going to be really happy when she hears that. Well, uh, she, she deserves every bit of it. And yeah. Then some. yeah. No doubt on that. Um, and so... <laughs> So picking up where we left off, um, you know, we, we get into high school and um, a distant cousin of mine. So after my dad passed, he was my wrestling coach. And when I say distant cousin, uh, my grandpa and his dad were brothers. So I don't know, you know, first, second cousin, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but he, he died uh, from a freak boating accident. Um, he was, you know, mid 50s um was with his kids and grandkids out on the boat in Oklahoma um and another boat was coming out of the party cove and t-boned him and his grandkids on their boat um and ended up severing his spine in three locations um but here's here's where um it gets impressive uh when you talk about somebody that's just you know you I hate for the reference, but just a tough old bastard. Um, you know, he, he really was just a, a gritty, tough old man because his spine is severed in three locations and he still managed to swim to get to a boat. And he started swimming after his granddaughter that was in his lap. Um, but then started, you know, once others were in the water to get her, he starts, he swam himself to a boat to get in. Um, my hair standing up thinking about it because, um, you know, he, he just, he was, he's just that gritty dude that, you know, everybody knows. Um, but he passed, uh, going into my freshman year of wrestling. And so that kind of, that hit me hard too. Um, but we start to transition, you know, going through high school and, uh, you know, my mom, uh, you know, I was going through a lot, but my mom was going through a lot more, um, because I, I had a, you know, a sister that, that had a wild side at that time and um, wasn't necessarily the, the best to my mom or, you know, on my mom. On top of that, there are a number of nights where, um, you know, I was downstairs in the basement. My mom is on the main floor of, you know, the house that we were renting at the time. And I could just hear my mom sobbing in her room. And I had to get up and go console my mom at, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And, um, you know, it just, it made me angry, um, even more angry than I was after losing my dad and going through all that. Um, and so now we start getting into the time of, you know, recruiting and possibly going to college. And, you know, I was a big dude. I was a, I was a pretty good wrestler. Um, my junior and senior year between the two, I only lost one match, um, ended up being a state champion my senior year and um, was trying to look at wrestling, but really loved football, but I didn't have scholarship offers coming in for football. Um, I didn't want to wrestle in college. I mean, that's a whole different beast. You know, you guys can ask any college wrestler about that. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a sport to get into um, at that level, let alone professional. But um, anyway, I was either going to go to a JUCO route, you know, that so many guys do, uh, to then go, you know, get a scholarship and go D1, or I was having to look at a walk-on, you know, spot at Division One, And I had a little bit of money left from my dad's life insurance that he left us. So um, we were fortunate enough that my dad had a life insurance policy and it split up between four of his kids and my mom. And um, that's actually what I used the first two semesters at K-State. So I chose to, uh, to walk on at K-State because my dad and I, um, we always had it in our mind, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it big. And I wanted to play on the, the biggest scale that I could. It was Division One, like Power Five, Division One football, all or bust kind of mentality. And um, I had made him and my grandfather a promise of getting my college education. And so I was going to use football to pay for my college. And 
scholarships didn't come in. I walk on at K-State. I use my dad's life insurance policy to pay for the summer semester and the fall semester. Um, and then, you know, I was, I was done. Like there, there was no more money in the savings account. There, there was nothing. And um, my mom actually took out a second loan to pay for my spring uh, semester at K-State. She was like, you're, you're killing it up there. You've got to stay there. We're going to make this work. Um, you know, you're, it's going to happen. You just have to keep going. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy because that was when, uh, you know, coach Bill Snyder, um, for all the college football gurus out there know what he's done, um, for Kansas state and, you know, the whole state of Kansas in its entirety. Um, you know, they, they call him the wizard of Manhattan, the magician of Manhattan. And, um, you can look him up and go through his, uh, accolades. It's impressive in itself, but, um, anyway, he, it was not easy playing for him. <laughs> like we're talking 6 a.m. runs, you know, as you guys, your, your basic trainings, your boot camps, all the schools and stuff that you had to go through, it's not easy. Um, but being a walk-on for coach isn't easy either. And um, I mean, it, it was, it was brutal for 6 a.m. developmental, every workout, every morning, 6 a.m. No questions. If you messed up, you had um, a PI, the price of your responsibility. And it was 800 yards of up-downs every 10 yards, eight laps around the field, the entire field, not inside the lines, outside the white lines, and then eight stadium runs. All of that had to be done in 30 minutes. So if you, if you didn't complete it in the 30 minutes, you had to come back the next day and run it again. Needless to say, I never had a PI. Uh, yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> Dude, hey, hey, so just real quick, okay, like I just want to acknowledge, like I've been around some some athletes and, and, you know, guys that I work with and stuff, but like BJ and NFL linemen, okay, are just massive people, okay? B BJ, how much do you weigh right now? Right now, 330. 330, okay. This guy can outrun me like in a sprint. And just his, uh, like, when he's doing warm-ups, he's doing, like, toe touches, like a ballerina. Like, it is just insane. Maybe not a, a good-looking ballerina, but, you know, <laughs> I, I digress. But uh, it's pretty dang. Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good looking. Yeah, it's pretty damn impressive uh, how athletically gifted uh, these guys are. Um, so just to put that out there, I've seen it, and I'm just blown away every every time. So, anyway. Yeah. Um yeah, so um, picking up, we go through spring ball, and um, I'm not I'm not on scholarship yet, and we um, it was that spring that um, I was having some bodily issues, um, and I went into the trainer and the team doctors. And I was like, Hey, I have this going on. We did some tests. They saw what I was talking about. And the doctor sits me down and he goes, I'm gonna be honest. He's like, you, you know, you've got a major issue and it could be three things. And two of which, uh, was cancer or a rare disease. Um, you know, both of which he's like, you, you don't want, he's like, you really don't want the cancer. Um, that's, you know, the absolute one you don't want. And then the, the, the disease, he goes, it's kind of a pain to monitor. And I'm a freshman in college. Um, I'm right on the brink of being a starter for Kansas state at the power five level. Like I'm right there and I'm being told that I probably have cancer. Uh, anyway, after some more in-depth testing and a couple of weeks later, like, Hey, good news is, uh, you know, we can treat this rather quickly. It'll go away within a week. And I'm like, Oh, you know, thank you. Prayers are answered. Um, so <laughs> I had, I had to get a job over the summer. Um, and it was for uh, Manco windows and I was running raw steel from semi trucks. So the 53 foot trailers would back up to this warehouse. And then a guy operating a crane would pull this raw steel for windows and he would drop it onto, you know, pallets, pallet runners and I would have to run them with another guy 
throughout the entire warehouse and stack raw steel and, you know, 16, 20 foot cuts. Um, and the best part about it is the football office set me up with this job because they knew I was going to have to pay for a fall semester. Um, so I'm working this job and I'm missing workouts. So I get a phone call from the position coach like, Hey, why aren't you making workouts? I'm like, well, coach, I got to work. I'm not on scholarship. My stuff's not paid for. And, um, he's like, all right. He goes, um, just keep working and try to get to workouts. So day three of having this job and day three of missing workouts, I get a phone call. Hey, how would you like to be on scholarship? <laughs> and so awesome. um, yeah, and you, you want to talk about a 10,000 pound weight being lifted off of me and my mother. And um, I was sitting there with a college roommate and he heard the news and, you know, he's, he's on some other stuff, just losing his mind. And I'm still sitting here in disbelief. I'm like, like, did this really just happen? You know? And so I, I get told by the coach, Hey, you're quitting that job. You're not even showing up tomorrow. Like make sure you're at workouts. Um, so naturally I call mom, I call mama Finn who's grocery shopping, uh, <laughs> at the, at the local grocery store. And dude, I don't, I don't know how the phone speaker worked because she just started screaming and losing her mind <laughs> in that phone. And I'm surprised I still have ear, hearing in my ear, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it was that loud. And, um, anyway, you know, fast forward, I get scholarship. I don't miss the start. And, um, you know, have, have a pretty successful college career. And then, um, you got to draft to, to Pittsburgh in, in 2015 and, and the draft process, it was honestly, it was, it was disappointing for me personally, um, because I racked up some, you know, some good accolades for, for college football and, uh, to go undrafted was kind of, you know, baffling, um, to me, to the coaches, uh, you know, we didn't really know what the deal was, but um, enters my childhood team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and my dad's childhood team. And uh, they're like, hey, we want to sign you. And I talked to my agent, made sense. The O-line coach was Mike Munchak. He's like, you're going to be a great fit uh, with Munch. Um, you know, all things are headed to Pittsburgh. So we were ecstatic about that. Um so kind of that, that blessing in disguise. And I get up there and, um, you know, I was, I was able to, to have seven good years in the NFL and, um, you know, there's some, some things that are in there that, that weren't so good that, that happened as well. And, um, you know, just we're here. So, yeah. So BJ, I just want to recap real quick. So you, you lost your dad at 13, you, you go through, um, you're, you know, a bigger family. You got what three or four other siblings with, with just your yep. mom and you just lost all, all that. And you weren't on scholarship and you had every, it sounded like you had every excuse to just fail and fall on your face and, and not give a damn, but literally every single chapter that you just listed off has just been like, yeah, well, I just worked for it and I just didn't quit. And I just kept going because you had this goal and a promise, which I really, you know, I know we've talked about it before with, you know, I gave a promise to my dad on his deathbed to, to what I wanted to do. So I know that weighs heavy on the heart and on the soul. And uh, at no time in this story did you hear BJ just like I sat down and I just decided to quit for a day. And, and he had every right to. And uh, just to know him, who he is now in his character, I mean, I, I just could never hear that. and and. I mean, that's why I love this guy. He's, I respect the hell out of him because of his character. Um, anyway, you want to say something, Melon? I was going to jump in. <clears throat> that story really resonates with me, BJ. Um, I've got this three boys and a little girl uh, and my little sister in my family. And my dad was a businessman and, you know, six foot set, you know, I'm trying to think pounds, 170 pound, like a tennis player, very fit and healthy. And he had a heart attack and passed at 44 in the family home on a, on a Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, there's my mom. I, I, I feel like there's such parallel between our stories because my mom held the family together and, you know, my older brother went off the rails a bit. And yep. 
there was never any money in our home and she somehow kept us all going to the you know the good college that that that, she, that my dad wanted us to go to and and I had uh, mentors in the rugby team my coach sort of took me under his wing and bit of guidance and then I had real hard times I joined the Australian Army straight out of school but I remember the day that I got my letter from the Australian Air Force that I've been accepted as a pilot and that same celebration from mum you know yep all that sacrifice and hard work and you know had pushed through and yep. and, and to achieve something it's like whatever just, whatever sense of success that we had you know multiply it tenfold and that's her feeling you know our mom's feeling for for us you know it's like i you know for her to have that success of you know my babies are still doing this my babies are still chasing their dreams so it, that's awesome yeah 100 percent. like my dad my dad always wanted to be a pilot he had bad vision but like he would take us to air shows and all that kind of stuff he was a businessman but you know sort of like to end up doing the thing that he wanted to do you know like i just it just really resonated with me man and you, you ask any mum how they are and they tell you what their kids are doing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a definition of mother for me. You know, they just live through the kids. And so your story really resonated with me. I, I was, I was going to ask around mentoring and whether you had like a strong male role model who stepped in when your dad was gone. And as a follow-up, I was going to ask, because I really think about it all the time with my kids, about you as a father with your kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a, a number of, it was, it was like a, an evolve, I can't talk. It was like a revolving door, um, of men that, you know, there wasn't one constant male role model in my life. Um, after my dad passed everybody, you know, life, life happens and everybody had their own things going on and, you know, Honestly, it just became me, my mom, and my sisters. Um, you know, yeah, a few people looked out for me doing a couple of different things, um, you know, here and there, helping my mom out, kind of do stuff. Um, the main one uh, was my Uncle Brad, uh, former U.S. Marine. Um, he was really tight with my dad, and um, he's my mom's brother. Uh, I uh, whether he knew it or not, I was always watching him. You know, he, he lived a few blocks down the road from us. Uh, I didn't see him too terribly often, but every time that we were around, I was always watching him because I knew he looked up to my dad and I knew they were really close. And I knew if there was one person to kind of emulate and be like, if it wasn't my dad, it was my uncle Brad. And so, you know, that, that would be the one role model uh, really. Um, and then for me and my kids now, um, I don't, I don't miss a beat. I don't miss a day. Um, you know, I want to spend every moment I can with the kids, um, whether I just be laying on the floor or, you know, we go outside and do something, you know, I just, I want to make those memories, um, with them because, you know, I'm hoping to have more memories than me and my siblings had with our dad. Um, but I'm making every memory I can with my children while I have them. How old are your guys now, BJ? So I have a daughter. Her name is Zoe. She's two. Um, and she's our rainbow baby. She came after we had a miscarriage. And then Jay uh, is our son. Uh, he's nine months, uh, nine months old. Yeah. It's, it's funny, I sit, I sit with my kids now, mine are 13 and 15, and I really cherish these last couple of years in a, in a new way, with, certainly with my son, a lot of conversations with him that I, I know probably were just over the horizon of what I would have had with my own dad. You know, yep. it's like that's yep. special conversations around just that next step and what's coming in life. And, you know, and I really value every day with him in a way, you know, that maybe other people don't. So, like, I'm sure you'll have that too in your future, like that parenting role and that fathering and that relationship and the legacy you'll leave on your kids, you know, like they'll never get over it. And I think that you'll appreciate it in a fresh way. Yeah. Thanks. Hopefully we get there. 
Yeah, I just I, I kind of want to say something before I get lost in my thoughts. Um, and I just I, this is really directly to the listeners. I think there's something that you said, BJ, that just literally made my hair stand up on my arms. And you said I wanted to live like my dad was still alive. And that's like some Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson once said he, you know, he gets in these like intellectual debates with like Sam Harris and all these other people. And he and he always ends a lot of his debates with I want to live as if God is real. And I, I think that that's such a powerful statement, but it also gives testament to your dad, to your father, who, you know, like it, it kind of left his legacy. And this is why it's important for all men and women that have family and have children to, you know, it's great to be successful in life. It's great to, you know, listen, man, I grew up poor. It sounds like most of us here grew up poor and it's nice to be financially stable. I'm not going to sit there and tell you, it. listen, it's, it's nice when you have cushion and you're like, Oh, you know, losing a tire is not a crisis. It's just whatever. I'll just buy another one. It's not a big deal. Right. Having that security is nice, but that legacy that your father left. I mean, it's, it's so transgenerational. It's going to be passed on to your kids. It's going to go on to their kids because clearly it's affected you and you're, you're, you've been guiding the right direction. So I, I hope people really think about that because you just gave a pretty like very step-by-step story of how his legacy has affected you and how you reached these great these great heights and then also the whole time you kept telling your stories about all your obstacles i kept thinking was man bj and his damn white privilege and then i was like oh wait <laughs> oh my <laughs> i was trying to throw some levity in there i wanted to throw some levity in there sorry i, just, I was like wait no that's not that's not the white privilege i've been reading about damn it damn you bj <laughs> i try i try my hardest yeah, yeah. yeah. no man i um, just yeah like i said i just but, yeah go ahead to, but you know to your point um you know when people always ask or they always say you know your dad would, you would be so proud of the man you've become you'd be so proud of the people that your family you know are and they they act as if he's gone and and i tell him i was like guys like when you lose a loved one, do you really believe that they're gone? And the answer is no, because it doesn't matter the cultures that you grew up in, whatever you believe, your loved ones are always in your heart. And they always say like, man, your dad's watching the field, you know, watching over the field and, you know, loving the game or da, da, da. I'm like, no, he's, he's not watching from the bird's eye view. He's watching through my eyes. He's living every moment that he can through my eyes to see what I'm seeing because he never, you know, he never got that. And I know that um, there've been a few times, you know, every big moment of my life, I can still feel him. Um, and it's crazy. Like when uh, Zoe was born and I got to hold my first child, I felt him. And then when Jay was born and it, it was a big deal that we had a son because I'm the, I'm the last Finney in the line, you know, male from my grandpa that, the buck stopped with me. And so there was that subconscious pressure to have a boy. We all have it. We're like, ah, we want a boy. Um, you know, and I, and so I finally, I had that boy and I'm in the the hospital with my wife and I'm holding Jay whom he he's named after my dad and my dad went by Jay and, um, I could just literally feel that arm come over my shoulder and like, he was looking at Jay with me and it just like, when people like it feels like people think they're gone and they're not, they're always around still. I had a hundred percent the same experience BJ when I got my daughter home from the hospital, she was a super prem baby. I had like six months in the hospital. And when I got her home, I remember the, the day she laughed the first time, you know, you get that belly laugh and you're like, Holy shit. It's like heroin as a parent, right? Like you just, whatever you yeah. did to make and I just got in this loop and I started crying and I really, really felt my dad in the room, you know? And yep. and then I had my son second and his Michael and that's my dad's name, you know? So totally, totally relate with all that. They certainly live on through us. Like I think of my dad all the time, every day, parent, especially parenting. Like I really, I know I measure myself against him as a father and like I'm always taking guidance on how he would, how would he have this conversation or what would his thoughts be on this all the time? Absolutely. And another thing is I'm sure you guys, you know, talked about with your, with your dads, not talked about, but 
um, you know, after they had passed, um, was the shoe to fill. It was like, oh, you know, you got a, you got a pretty big shoe to fill. And I never felt that way because you can't do things the exact way that they did. You're not them. And that's the way that my dad would always like, I feel like that's a lesson my dad taught me, but would have told me was, Hey, put your own shoe on and, you know, do, do it your way. Like you have a mold. Yeah. I left you a mold of how to be a great dad of how to be a great husband and do, but ultimately it's your shoe. So your foot has to fill it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense, man. I mean, I, listening to you and Melon talk about, you know, different stories and Melon's dad wanted to be a pilot, but he couldn't because of his vision. My dad couldn't join the military because of his hearing. So he grew up working in the steel mills in Pittsburgh and it was so loud in there that it, it messed his hearing up. And he tried, he tried joining the Navy actually uh, to be a welder and uh, they wouldn't take him. So it was just like, he didn't get to do it. So I ended up joining the military and I felt like, yeah, I wasn't him, but I was going to do it my way. And, you know, I'm the first person in my whole family to make it into the special operations community, you know? So it's just like, I took the mold and I build upon what he left and, and just, you know, it's just driving me to be better. Like there's just always this standard of just like, I need to keep pushing, you know? So I, I, I totally hear what you guys are saying, man. Um, what I do want to say is, oh, go ahead, Raph. I was going to, I was going to make an honorary mention because again, listen to BJ's story. And I realized that you're, dude, you're pretty Mexican. I mean, you guys are gritty, dude. You and Mama Finn have been doing some Mexican shit for a while, like <laughs> circling the wagons. I'm not joking. Like you get telling your I'm like, dude, I could totally see my family doing like my parents putting the house up. Like they, they would just circle the wagons with the little resources we had. And instead of a shoe, we call that a chancla. So you would be like, put on your chancla. But I was like, dude, BJ straight up Mexican. So I'm, I'm calling it now. I'm giving you the honorary status. Uh, you're uh, one yes. of us. I uh, love it. Speaking of yeah. Mexican, uh, BJ, don't you have a name for Raf and vice versa? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm Megalote. All right. Big Miguel. <laughs> and I'm Megalito. And, yeah, small Miguel. <laughs> And, and my and Mike, just so we're all we're all clear, is Putita. Putita, <laughs> right? These are great names given over hunting. You know, when a bird flies and the shotguns go up, it's you know, it's a hey, Putita. You know, you, you hear Raph whistling up on the hill, and you hear shotguns going off. It's yeah, it's entertaining for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also, yeah. I, I just a quick one for the for the viewers and people who in Australia maybe who don't know. BJ, how big is your skull, man? It is a gigantic asteroid on the top of your shoulders there. I mean, there's not many bigger than mine. I reckon, I reckon you're going to give me a run. Yeah. We were just yeah, talking, so we were talking just, helmet sizes earlier. My, my extra large flying helmet, and I think there was a double XL NFL helmet, right? Yes. So, uh, yeah, kind of weird innuendo there. I don't know where we're going with that, but uh, you said you're, you know, 60, 61 centimeters in circumference. And I, I had, I had to convert that to standard, you know, inches, um, which was 23.62. And, um, I just ordered a helmet the other day for myself and, uh, it said anything from 23 and five eighths to, I think it was 25 inches was two X. So you're right there with me. We're two X baby. Um, I'm not quite, I'm not quite six, four and three thirty though. So, <laughs> Hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, like Mel you said, we, we, we have that gray matter in between is where, you know, I mean, Tio has it, Raph has it. Nah, not so much Mike. Mike is a little suspect there. <laughs> there it is. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, to, hey, to be fair, in his community, you need to be Mongo sometimes. I mean, when you're in sub, you know, 40 degree weather in the water, we're too smart for that. We're like, we're not getting in there. That, that shit will kill you. <laughs> Yeah, but then yeah. Mongo goes, must get to the beach. Yeah, yeah. See, I mean, that's what the cold water does. It just numbs your senses and you're, and you're like, yeah, to the point where you're like, I don't care. Go in, you know? So it's not really a compliment, I guess. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. I'll shut up. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, 
like going, going through the recruiting thing, I had that discussion with my uncle because my dad and my, and my uncle Brad were in the Marines and I had two uncles that were in the Navy. And so when I wasn't getting the, the uh, scholarships for football and I didn't want to do college wrestling, I had that talk of the armed services with my uncle Brad and the Marines. And I was so close to joining the Marines and it would have been, uh, you know, the fall of 2010. And so like, I, I was, I was very close to being in the armed services and he, he was the one that, that directed me. He's like, you're a lot better at, at football and athletics than I ever was. So you should do football. I would, I'm here. I'm here as BJ's witness. I don't think he would have been a good Marine because they have to wake up early and you know, hey, eighteen-year-old me is a lot different than thirty-year-old me. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Uh, what I will say, this is what I've seen: is when we were shooting this week, uh, BJ was consistently putting rounds on target at three hundred and fifty meters with his rifle. He, he's a three thirty-eight Lapua, and was was banging him in there. So BJ can shoot, and for a big man, he can run and gun with a M4 and a pistol. And I was there as his witness. He can do it, but as far as fitting in a small, tight uniform, uh, some, some, you know, or a small vehicle, <laughs> or a, or any vehicle for that matter, uh, he just doesn't trip. <laughs> True. True. Yeah, I, I think Raph would probably have to get in his Blackhawk and sling load his ass to missions or something, and just hang him in a net. But I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. I'd be honored. I, Raph, you, you guys would have loved it because. We were doing uh, contact drills in a 93 GMC Sonoma. <laughs> it, 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 like, just for me to be able to sit down in the thing and get, like, just trying to squeeze in vertically into this space was a feat on its own. So, oh, so we, we got the memes, BJ. We got the memes. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off when I started getting them. I had, there were golden opportunities for memes. I had to make them. But um, absolutely, you know, we're talking about getting behind the engine block or a tire is just like your best cover, right? Cover, concealment, getting behind the thing. As he's going through it, I was like, BJ, just bench press and flip over the truck. Because <laughs> he, he literally could have grabbed it and tilted it on its side and been out of sight and could have ran away. I was like, oh, my God. I was trying to stay low, like as I was like, walk, like pretty much duck walking behind the, the, the backside of this truck. And my head was still popped out by like three or four inches. Like there was, I was like trying to stay below this line. And I was like, this isn't working guys. We need a bigger vehicle. <laughs> we, were, we were joking around. Cause we got, we got in the, in the truck together. B, BJ was driving. I was in the passenger seat and, uh, and I was like, you know, real life, like we get contacted and you get wounded in here. I like, I have to leave you. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he was like, he's like, I'm playing the phosphorus grenade on you, and just <laughs> we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> it, it was so bad, like there was no arguing the point. I was like, I'd have one on myself already. Okay, like <laughs> there's like SOPs where like you have a, a white phosphorus grenade on on top of the radio or the engine block. You know, or toss one in the back seat just to destroy the vehicle so the enemy doesn't get anything. It's just like standard issue. BJ has one on his chest. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I can't pick you up. <laughs> so, well, hey, uh, anyway, what you know, moving on from the from the the, the funny shit. Um, you know, being through all this, uh, BJ and I had a, a drive to the airport. Uh, it was about two hour drive from his house to Kansas City, where I flew back. We had a really great uh, conversation and just hearing his story about uh, people that have been there to help him and being a mentor like his uncle. And, you know, when he got into the into college, I met some of his college teammates uh, and then some of the guys in the NFL that I know uh, are just phenomenal dudes uh, outside of football. And he wants to take this passion in a direction to help others. Um BJ, if you just kind of want to share your goal and like your what you're aiming to do next, uh, I think it's it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'm extremely passionate about is the outdoors, and everybody, you know, everybody says they're passionate about the outdoors. Well, my deal is I want to influence the next generation of outdoorsmen and women, 
um, you know, the kids. I'm, numbers are going down across the country of, of kids getting out into the woods, you know, onto the bodies of water, fishing, hunting. Like, you know, everything's just going down because it's not a popular thing to do uh, in a lot of communities anymore. And everybody's talking about going green and saving the planet and, you know, talking about all these things. Well, yeah, that's all great and well, but do you really understand what you're fighting for? And a lot of them don't because they don't go out and experience these things. They don't know everything that goes into truly fighting for this earth. And I want to expose kids to everything, not just hunting and fishing wise, but everything that rolls into taking care of this planet and what we have, because I want to, I want to give this next generation hope of being on this planet and, you know, bettering it for the next generation. Um, and so when we're talking about it, we're talking about, you know, scientists, you know, you know, herbologists, agronomists, um, all of it. You go to a watershed, you know, analyzing water in the creeks. Okay. Why is this growing here? Why is this level up? Like, you know, protecting all the resources that are out there um, for us and for the, for the earth. We're supposed to live with and off the land and not on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. BJ gave me a crash course. Uh, we went up in his ATV, gave me a tour and he has a really nice pond loaded with some largemouth bass and some other stuff. So we went fishing for a whole six minutes. I got a, I got a, uh, a nest of line <laughs> in my reel. I didn't catch anything. Twice. Oh, twice twice two out of three casts he had a crow's nest in his line it was impressive <laughs> yeah so that, that was great and then uh and then we proceeded to sit there for about three hours having great conversations while we had to uh while we were taking care of the wicked turtle population in his pond uh because i learned that turtles dig holes in the bottom of ponds and then the water runs out and drain your pond so uh they were overpopulated we dented the population and walked away victorious, but I learned quite a few things from BJ just being on his on his property and kind of hearing his plan to inspire the next generation, getting kids out, being active. Like he said, um, I think it's awesome, man. Like get off your phone, get out, learn how to how to build something, how to grow something, how to maintain uh, your community. You know, like get some inner city kids and bring them out to the middle of Kansas. Uh, you're gonna have a wide eyed view of the world at that point when you can't go down the road and go to mcdonald's you know <laughs> yeah. so i think ravi may have experienced this on this drive but um uh, paul like when so we're in manhattan kansas and we're right close to fort riley um and the closest like big airport is kansas city uh so it's a two-hour drive and in this two-hour drive it's wide open spaces my man like you hit the interstate, you've got Topeka, Lawrence, and Kansas City. And that's about 180 miles or so. Maybe not 180, but, you know, 160. And that's all you have. You, the car, and the road. And you will feel very, very small and insignificant when you're going down this road. Uh, and so it's very eye-opening because every time I get guys to come back from the NFL, they're like, dude, where are we at? We're in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, yeah, just wait, just wait. Like, you know, Manhattan's 60,000 people just wait. That's not, it'll be there. Just give it time. And so they're just like, they're just always baffled by the amount of space that's out here. It's that's, it's quite a lot like Australia. Actually, like we've got the, the big cities, we've got like 26 million and the rest of the continents, the same size as pretty much uh, the, the U S minus Alaska. And then, it's just massive spaces and you know i grew up on uncle's farms shooting rabbits and kangaroos and in the outdoors with the scouts and you know camping and like all that stuff is such a a background piece of information for, for me with stuff like just flying and navigation being able to read a map and read contour lines and just really simple basic stuff that's in the background and and i agree that um, you know, you can be in a city and people drinking their coffees and talking about saving the world and, you know, throwing out these non-recyclable paper cups and you're like, you know, the words and the actions and not having that deep experience, you miss out on something. And so having that uh, opportunity to get out 
and uh, experience it and live it and camp and be on the land, you know, no cell phone coverage. Well, that's a good place to start, I reckon. So uh, That's what we're hoping for. Well, I, I think it's about that time that we start wrapping the, this episode up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll ask BJ, you know, if he'd like to leave anything before we end the episode. But I'd just like to finish off. You see a lot of um, – you watch these guys on TV and you see like, you know, they're entertainers, they're, 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 they're athletes, all this stuff. And they're making all kinds of money. And, you know, they think that you have the the perfect life and everything that's there. And, you know, just these past probably 10 years, almost of my interaction with these guys, you can hear from the story that they've been through the same things as the rest of us. So, uh, you know, all four of us on the show right now have similarities and our paths are slightly different. But as we said before, the framework is almost kind of the same. Uh, they're human beings, just like everybody else. They have problems like everybody else. They have loss like everybody else. Uh, but the difference is, is you can hear in really all four of our stories, we all made the, the, the conscious choice to just not quit, to not give up and to be something better than what we know we could have been. You know, we all could have thrown in the towel the, the, the minute we lost our, our family or, you know, something like that. And we could have just had every excuse just to sit around and do nothing and point the finger. Um, that's why I'm friends with BJ. That's why I was drawn to him, honestly, and having these types of conversations like this one today. And, uh, you know, what I'd just like to put out to everybody is just remember that the, these guys that are playing this game of football, which is awesome. And, I, you know, we all like it. Except Mellon. Mellon likes rugby and he makes fun of American football. I don't know if you want to take it up with him out, outside when you meet him, but that, that, that might be something you guys can discuss. Yeah, this is also a guy who wears shorts that are way too short for that should be on, on any adult male. So his, 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 his opinion is very questionable. At, at those shorts are a good place to stop. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, BJ, can, you, can you imagine a grown man showing up in short shorts and a suit top to football practice? I mean, w- with a beer, with a beer. And he's like, all right, l- let's get ready to play. You know, it's just it, like- it, actually, I can because I had a teammate who's a punter now for the Minnesota Vikings, Jordan Berry. He's from Australia. And he told us how things, you know, how it would play out in Australian football practices and stuff. So, Paul, you keep, you keep doing you, man. It's, it'll be all right. Look at look at that criminal picture he's showing right now. Look at that. You can't unsee it once you see it, though. That's the problem, BJ. You can't unsee it. I seen it. <laughs> the thing that I really got out of this conversation is um, BJ's seeing the fork in the road after his dad passed, and that when struck with a major setback, you could either wallow in it or you could live on as if your dad was uh, still there. And for me, that's a massive. Take away for people because we're all going to have these hard times. Everyone is going to have, everyone's going to get that Joker card played to them at some stage in their life. And there's still a a choice. There's still an element of um, being able to face your future and create it yourself. And like, I I think that that is probably for me, the thing I've really taken out of this conversation, living on as if they're still there is just such a powerful way to generate that legacy and pass it on and, you know, to not have things like not, you know, your father would have been so disappointed if there'd been a failure. And I know my dad would have been too, rather yep. than carrying, carrying on and, and achieving the, the results that they would love you to achieve. I think that's such a powerful thing for our listeners to hear, man, because a lot of them are struggling out there. Yeah. And, and, and then the two things um, for the listeners is, um, the way that I also viewed it too is when you look, I tend to look back at things about how it could have gone and realistically, you know, how close it was to going the other way in my life. And it was so close. I mean, let's not joke. I mean, we were, I mean, one decision away from we're going down the wrong path. Um, And that's all it takes is that one minute decision. And it starts to veer off into that fork. You don't want to go down. You know, and then you're wondering, uh, you know, gee, I wonder what my life would have been like had I had done X, Y, Z 
for the better. No, you, you want to do it the other way. You want to make sure, you know, it's harder. It sucks more, but you want to refer, you know, you want to look at it the other way of, man, I'm glad I didn't make those decisions and, and do that. And the other thing is I kind of view life like a poker game. You get two cards that are dealt. There's nothing you can do about them. Those are your two cards. You can affect the cards in that river for once. Not an actual card game, obviously, but you can't affect those cards. But you can affect how to play off of those two cards you get dealt. You can do it for the better or for the worse. And the decision's up to you. Boom. He, he, he ended the show. There it is. <laughs> he literally did. <laughs> BJ, I also want to just thank you and your teammates for um, for like just blowing away my preconceived notions. Because I used to think it was all hooks and blow for you guys in the NFL. Cause I saw any given Sunday. And I remember the first time I met all you guys through, through Mike, I came home. My wife was like, so how was it hanging out with the Pittsburgh, the Stillers? And I was like, babe, you're not going to believe this, but it's not all hooks and blow. I mean, it's probably like hooks and blow on a Saturday, but the rest of the week, it's totally not hooks and blow. And so thank you, BJ and Troy and all you guys for just for you know, destroying that preconceived notion of mine. But anyways, Melon, I know you got to wrap it up. Well, just like this is one I'm going to listen to again. You know, I'd, there's there's just such gems in here, hearing about your mom and hearing about your childhood and uh, you know sacrifice and pushing on and you know that that sense and that knowledge that they do live through us and they see the world through our eyes. There's some uh, some real wisdom in this episode. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story for our community because a lot of our our listeners do have hard times and. Uh, you know, if you guys want to reach out, remember you can uh, drop us a review. You can contact us all, not your average Mike 77, not your average Raph, not your average Paul at Gmail. And uh, we'll pass messages on. And uh, until next week, take care and look for that fork in the road in your own life. All the best. <laughs> <laughs>